Hello and good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the Peace Alliance Hope Story Circle. My name is Terry Mason and welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. I am joined today to facilitate the Hope Story Circle by Liz Graydon, who is our board chair, and Yelena Popovich, who is our Teaching Peace in Schools lead. And our special guest today, I'm so excited and so delighted to introduce Saquon Prude. Saquon, you want to come off mute and just say hello? Hello, everyone. Hello, welcome. Hello, it's great to see you. And um, we're going to hear your amazing story in just a short time. But before we do that, I'm going to ask Elena to bring us into a meditation just for a short meditation to bring us in together. Yelena? Thank you, Terry. Welcome, Saquon. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, just taking some moments. Today, it's uh, Earth Day. And I find that sometimes just taking a moment to appreciate just this earth our feet are touching at this moment so maybe just starting there just feel the soles of your feet touching this earth and connecting yeah Wherever you are, to the land. Just inviting you for a moment, perhaps, to even bring to mind place in nature that evokes a sense of appreciation. It could be just your doorstep. It can be somewhere where it was really special. So just for a moment, bite that image in. Just notice. Emotions, sensations, or thoughts it brings. Now, where in your body is that? register for you that connection nature we are nature just taking a few nourishing breaths
letting that image dissipate. Allowing yourself to come in to contact with Earth again. Coming back as a community together, welcoming Sequan. Come, Sequan. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Should I start? Uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you for for having me here. Um, it's a it's a real honor to be here. So my name is Saquon Prude, um, and I'm really honored to share my hope story with you. And I want to take thank take time to thank. Terry and Yelena, and especially my friend Liz, um, for giving me this opportunity. And so I'll begin at the beginning. Um, I was born and raised knowing that I was loved. There was never a question of that. Um, I always had food to eat. I always had clothes on my back and a roof over my head. There was no lack of love. But I did lack other things. My parents had many personal demons, and because of that, I bounced around a lot and lived with a lot of different people. Um, as far as I can remember, I lived with my father for maybe four years of my life, um, um, from about eight to 12 years old. And my mother, I haven't lived with her since I was about three or four years old. Um, but no matter where I went, um, they would come around um, and the people, whoever I was staying with, there was always love. But when I say a lot of people, I mean a lot. Um, I went to eight elementary schools. I went to six junior high schools and I went to six high schools for dropping out um, and going to job for to get my GED. I lived in quite a few states and quite a few boroughs in New York City. And within that time, during the bouncing around, um, I learned to gravitate towards people like me. Unfortunately, a lot of them were in the streets. So that's where I found myself. And that's around where I found people who I felt were like me. It wasn't that I didn't have people to teach me right from wrong. And I don't really fully understand um, why I wanted that validation from the streets and street life, but it's kind of where I chose to be. And unfortunately, at 17, that choice led me to being locked up and to spend the next 14 years of my life inside of a cage. And while I was locked up, um, I had many different awakenings in my life, um, many different revelations that, that came to me that helped me become the person that I am today. Um, I've had spiritual ones, I've had moral ones, but the first one that um, really stands out to me was a conversation that I had with my younger brother, Ray. And it was Ray's fifth birthday, 
and I'm on Rikers Island and I called him and I, I said, hey, happy birthday, Ray. And the first thing he said, oh, hey, Saquon, are you coming to my party? And he had this weird little, like, little voice, his little really funny, cute voice. And I said, nah, no, Ray, I'm too far. I can't come to your party. He said, ah, he said, what are you like? Are, are you in Brooklyn? I said, no, Ray, I'm not in Brooklyn. I'm further than that. And he said, oh, are you like upstate? And I said, no, Ray, I'm not upstate. I'm, I'm closer than that. He said, oh, and then he stopped for a second. He said, what are you like, out of this world? And I laughed immediately when he said it. And right after I laughed, I got flooded with this feeling of sadness. Um, and I still feel it to this day because he was right. Um, as close as I was to him, as far as distance, I might as well have been on another planet. Um, I have removed myself from his life and the rest of the people who love me lives. Um, and I might as well have been on Jupiter, right? Or on the moon. It, it, it didn't matter. My influence in their life um, for the next 14 years wasn't going to be much, at least from what I thought. So I knew that um, I had to change. I knew that I needed to get back to this world and get back to the people that, that loved me and that there were a few things that I needed to do. Um, my, uh, my father told me one day uh, during a phone conversation, he said, hey, don't, don't let your heart turn cold. And I understood what he meant, but I didn't think it was uh, a thing I had to worry about. But over the years, I started feeling it. I started feeling the coldness and I started and I saw people and, and it wasn't the first, it wasn't the last time, excuse me, that I heard that, hey, you know, you're a good guy. And people would tell me that I'm like, oh, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I'm a good guy. In my mind, I've done all of these um, bad things and I've lived this, this life. And they said, nah, man, you're a good person. Don't let this place harden you. And once I kept hearing and kept hearing, I realized, you know, they're right. You know, I I put on the I put on a good mask to live this life, but it isn't me, right? I'm way more comfortable being that good guy. Um, but I need to heal and I need to change something so I can get back to that and then I can leave this plate age that I was in a different person. And, and get back to that person that I was always meant to be. So I know I needed to heal. And part of my healing that I needed to do was to heal a relationship with my parents. Um, I needed to forgive my father. We had a real rocky and turbulent past. Um, and for a long time, I thought I hated him. Um, and, I, and I believe I've even told him that. Um, in in more than on more than one occasion, and it's and it's really hard to to have a conversation with your dad and tell him, listen, I'm sorry, I don't hate you, um, and him to think, oh, it's just something you're saying just because at that time he was sick, and I was 
let him know, no, like I, I, I really don't hate you, and I, and I never did. Um, no matter what, um, we went through. You tried, and you had your own, your own personal demons, and you know we all make mistakes. And I love you, and I don't hate you. Um, and it made our relationship um, so much better. Um, and I had to restructure. Another thing I had to do was restructure the relationship with my mother. Um, like I said, I hadn't lived with my mother um, since I was about three or four months old. And she was she was never in my life, but I always gave her a lot of grace. Um, I was always told that, hey, you know, your mother's sick right now, um, but she'll get better and she'll be back. Um, and so I've always lived with this kind of um, kind of enabling uh, uh, relationship with her, where sometimes I would be disappointed in some of the choices she would make and some of the things she, some of the situations she would find herself in. And I would just excuse it. Hey, don't worry about it. And I would never show my displeasure to what was actually happening in my life um, because of some of the choices that he was making. Um, and so I had to let her know one day, like, listen, you're really hurting me. You're hurting me. And and I was always scared that if I if I shared that with her, that she would leave again. Right. So it felt funny being this this grown man who's who's like a little kid scared that his mommy's gonna gonna leave. But that's what I was. And you know, when I shared that with her and I told her, listen, I'm disappointed, I love you, but you're, you're hurting me so bad by you doing these things and, and you're making these choices. And I didn't know how it was going to go. I actually wrote it to her in a letter and I didn't give myself a chance to think about what I wrote. I put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail. And when she got it, I didn't know how she was going to respond, but it changed something. It changed something for both of us. Um, she's like one of my best friends. Um, and she always goes back to, we share, we share a lot of the same childhood, a lot of the same life stories and life journey. And, you know, it's, it's blossomed our relationship, me being able to be honest with her and trust that although she make mistakes, she may make mistakes. She's here to stay. Right. Um, and it's been a wonderful thing to, restructure that relationship with her. Another thing that I had to do was to do something for my grandmother. My grandmother is the one who, when I was arrested, I was living with. And no matter what household I was in, she was the constant, she was the, the steady rock, no matter what. Um, unfortunately, she was older, so she had a lot of medical issues in dealing with me being in the streets, dealing with a lot of my behavioral issues, um, dealt with a lot of medical issues, whether it be heart attacks, strokes, nervous breakdowns, things like that. And I just needed something to give back to her, to show her, listen, all, all of your work and all of your effort, it's, it's not in vain. I want to make you proud in some way. And even though I'm in this place, I want to make you proud. So she always wanted me to go to school. So... I made sure I, I, when you're inside, you're able to apply to, to go to facilities that have college programs. It's only a few of them that have it. 
So I applied to go to, to the facility, which I wound up in Sing Sing Correctional Facility, and it had a college program. And I knew if I enrolled in the college program and I got good grades and I finished at the top of my class, I can give the speech, the, the valedictorian speech. And I, there were so many things that I wanted to say to her. And I wanted to give her that moment. And I just prayed that she would be alive to hear it. Um, and so that, would, that started my journey into getting my education. And that's what I did. I, I enrolled in college and I put my all into it. I was never like top of my class or anything like that in in grade school. I, I did well at times and then other times I wouldn't do well. But I, I focused and said, I'm going to do this for her. And at the end of those five years, it took me five years um, to, to finish. I was at the top of my class. Um, I was able to graduate with my bachelor's and stand, even though I was in a prison, stand at a podium and give a speech and let her know that, you know, all of your, your teachings and all of your, your hardships that you've been through with me, I'm going to make them worth it. And I know I took this long, long road to get here, but I'm here and and I and I love you and I appreciate um, everything that you've done for me and you've been in my corner, and and I did this for you. Um, but I didn't realize. Um, well, I've come to realize that I did it for her a lot, but I also did it for myself and started giving me a different type of validation. Right, the validation that I was looking for, I I did find it there as well. Um, but it was wonderful being able to to see her and to and to be able to see her see me, you know, just up there and and being um being more than that guy that just went to prison all those years ago. The last thing um that I had to do part of my healing was to learn to forgive myself. Um I had to learn to allow people in my life. I had to learn not to be cold, right? Not to be so hard on myself. Um, I know that although I've made some really bad choices in life um, and I've done things um, that I had to pay for, that, you know, I need to be able to give myself some grace and to look at the change that I've made, right? Um, there's there's a, a a mantra that I I I say to myself that you know I'm better than I'm better than the person that I was, but not as yet as great as the person that I'm meant to be, right? Um, and I, and I work towards that. I work towards being a a better, the best version of myself. Um. But I do struggle with, you know, balancing, you know, I, I take full responsibility of the things that I've done in my life, but it's so hard for me to get up here and, 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 and tell you about the things that have happened to me in the past, right? Um, because I never want to make excuses about it. So I, I try to find ways to balance that as part of my healing journey and accepting 
my personal responsibility, but also um, understanding that there's a larger responsibility um, uh, of people, of, of communities, of families that, that sometimes can affect, right? Those, those, those things and affect the people um, in them, especially young people. So for me, hope is, hope is a luxury. For a long time, I thought hope was a luxury that I couldn't afford, right? Um, it was really just about, you know, tangible things, how, how to get out of this, this cage, right? And, and I don't have time to, to look too far ahead. I have to keep one goal in mind because I don't know if I will be able to get out. And then real, once I realized like, no, I, there are things that you have to do. You have to hope that, you, that you're here long enough to achieve these things, get back to the people that you love. And, and I did, and I held on to that hope and it was scary. It was really scary, especially being in a place like that when you don't know when things can be stripped from you. Um, but I held on to it and I believe that, you know, at some point I wouldn't be out of this world anymore, that I wouldn't just crash land back on earth, that I would be, I would land gently and I would be a different person that left those years before. And I want to thank you all for hearing my story and been a, a, a an honor to share it with you. Oh, Saquon, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. It's such a beautiful story. And I think we're going to go into breakout rooms now. And Liz, do you want to talk about an inquiry for people to talk about when they're together? Yeah, for those of you who are, are new to our Hope Story Circle, uh, we always meet with our storyteller the night before. And when uh, Yelena, Terry, and myself met with Saquon last night, we were talking about a story and trying to think about an inquiry. And what really touched our hearts was exactly what Saquon kind of ended with, that idea of he wants to balance personal responsibility uh, with the idea that there were things that happened in family and community and the life around him that he had no control over. And how do you balance those two? Um, and so the inquiry we would like to invite you into the rooms with is how do we balance, right? What is the role of individual responsibility as opposed to the collective responsibility we have as communities and society? And I'll say for those of you who are new, Part of the mission of the Peace Alliance, we work in five different areas, but three that Saquon, your story brought up for me was uh, developing a personal peace, right? How do you come to that place of personal peace? How do we create peaceful communities that support each person so they can thrive? And how do we humanize justice systems? And so I was thinking about how the three of those come together. So when we when we when Terry puts this in the breakout rooms, we would love for you to really hold Saquon's story in your hearts in a sacred way. 
and build your inquiry and discussion around what is, how do we balance that individual responsibility in a, in a society where there is this collective responsibility that is failing too many of us? Is it, uh, does anyone have questions or clarification around the inquiry? I just put it in the chat. Thank you, Terry. Sure. So we're going to go into our breakout rooms. Um, my goal is to get three people to a room. Sometimes I don't succeed. So, um, but our agreements in the rooms are to speak from your heart, to listen with your heart, to say just enough so that others have an opportunity to share and to keep confidentiality. When we come back together, we'd love to hear what's bubbling up and what's alive and what, what, what's, what's present for you but don't share the details of another person's personal story. They can share it if they choose, but otherwise just speak to your own or speak to the themes that you discussed. And we'll be back together in about 20 minutes. You'll have some time to really visit with one another. And I'm going to stop the recording now and we'll be back together very shortly. Well, welcome back, everyone. It's nice to see you. I see lots of feelings on faces, all the feels. We'd like to share what's what's bubbling up for you right now. Come off mute and feel free to share with us. I just want to say, I thank Saquon for coming out and letting me know he is a human being because I did think he was an alien. So thank you so much, brother. <laughs> For coming out and let me know that. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. That's great. <laughs> Would anyone else like to share? Well, I have a question for Saquon. Um, do you have any ideas or suggestions as to what we can do about all these problems in the prisons? which are a lot of being run by for-profit organizations and children being neglected. I mean, it feels so overwhelming. I don't know where to turn to make it better. And what is my role in doing that? You mean inside the prisons themselves or like? Well, in, in my community in general, you know, is the answer to be a mentor to a child in a, in a public school where they have a program of tutoring, things like that. Um, I know a woman who teaches meditation to prisoners and it really changes things for the better. But I just feel so overwhelmed with all these problems that I don't know what to do next. So, I mean, there, there, were, there are things that definitely inside of prison, um, education is a huge thing that has um, mm -hmm. changed the lives of, of and changed the outlook of so many people with or in prison. Um, I was just at a gala for this organization, um, Hudson Link, um, for higher education in prison. And I'm there with, with correctional commissioners and things like that. And but they're they're actually doing the work to really push people to get educated because recidivism is down to like five to seven percent for people who come out with yes shits or bachelor's degrees. Um so things like that definitely work. And I, and I saw, I've seen it myself um, in Sing Sing, how it changes the whole um, 
just a culture inside of, of the place where people are like that's the cool thing to do um but the main thing to to help the prison issue is to stop people from going to prison um and a lot of it has to do with on many fronts education is a big thing our, our schools are severely underfunded in in their cities where a lot of the crime has happened um people are not invested in the communities so building people up and building people people's um uh stake inside of 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 the community they live in they people live in communities where they feel like they don't have any ownership of right um allowing people to you know i look at harlem right because I, I i still work in harlem and i and i see all of these great things that are now that are being changed in harlem right and harlem looks a lot different but none of those things are 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 owned by the people who actually live in the community oh right um or people are being pushed out of the community. So giving people an actual stake inside of their community will help them, um, you know, better take care of it, right? And and and, have, and feel like they have ownership in it and, and do different things inside of it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a cultural issue, and we talked a little, we touched on it briefly in our in our breakout room that there's a there's a there's an effort to make criminal activity um maladaptive behavior things like that a a a badge of honor in in our neighborhoods rather than a fringe part of our neighborhoods right historically those things have been people have been into crime and, and things like that but they're a fringe group right mm -hmm. there's an effort in in music and social media and television to to make our um communities as if that's the way you have to be in order to be accepted in order to be cool most people aren't like that even today most people are not in the streets most people are not doing crime but it, it makes it seem like everyone is because that's the cool thing to do the cool thing is to carry a gun the cool thing to do is to sell some drugs to to you know to look a certain way to dress a certain way there's no images of people doing especially people of color on that that are the everyday people right that are just the normal people working the professionals the things like that there's there's no push to make that the thing it's it's all about you know the other side right and and we know the whole stereotypical uh images that that um are conjured up when you think about in the inner city right um how they look how they dress hands hanging off their behind things like that those things are 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 looked at as being in and being so of course kids are gonna grow up like hey why wouldn't i want to be around the cool crowd why wouldn't i want to do the things that the cool to do so it, it it reinforces and it keeps the cycle going 
mm-hmm. right? It may not it may not become the um, the majority of the people in the community, of course not, but it's it's the it's the loud minority that you see, yeah, right, and it's the thing that's being pushed. So change, that cultural change needs to happen um, in order for things to get better. Yeah, it's like when you, thank I, you. We've experienced a lot of um, programs, and people have come to us like yourself. Azim Kamisa comes to mind, and his son was killed um, by a gang situation, and and he and he turned that around, and he began the forgiveness project, and is you know, and he, he started teaching children at four, age four how to forgive each other, and right. you know. I mean, fourth grade, I mean, fourth grade forward and how to get along and not to to embattle with one another. And so there's a lot of things like that that are that are going on. But but you're right. The louder voices are the ones that are being heard and not the the more, you know, coming together voices. And the, and those are the kinds of things that at the Peace Alliance, we do our best to publicize and to mobilize and to bring people together to understand and bring people like you to tell your story so that people can be aware of of the good things that are going on and support those good things that are happening. Um, And we advocate too. We're able to advocate for legislation that that will help in theory. It makes me think that, you know, I don't know whether you're aware that San Quentin is going to be turned into a learning institute. And I think five years, the government governor committed to that, which it should be documented. Somebody mm-hmm. should be filming that and recording that and and recording how that's going to evolve. But um, what a magical transformation that would be if San Quentin turned into a learning institution, mm-hmm. a college or a university, San Quentin University, that would be so cool. Because um, I do think what you point out, Saquon, about education and the fact that you dedicated yourself to to getting an education and what a difference it seems it's made in your life. Um, gosh, what a bridge that is for people. Yeah. Thank you, Judy. Yeah. At oh, the God. same time, just education in the local jail, our yeah. library, the little old retired ladies take boxes of books to the jail and we can't see the inmates. We can't, but we get notes back. Give oh. me more books by this author. Oh, wow. That's cool. So that is just a little Very thing, cool. but it's something. That's the impact. Yeah. I, I just want to say, Saquon mentioned, uh, uh, I, I got out of prison in 86, but he mentioned a, a fact a statistic, but it's also a fact that um, secondary post-education in prison, the recidivism rate is much closer to zero. It's much wow. closer to zero. So, so, so incarceration, mass incarceration can be resolved mm-hmm. very quickly. And I think it was Malcolm X when he got out of prison back in 1962, he said prison can be your place of confinement or your university. Oh, it's up to wow. you to make it what that's you want. Cool. So that, that's the easy solution that I tell people who have done time. Like, look, just get you an education, 
and the options, the opportunities that you're looking for will be will materialize once you get that education. That happened for me, right? I tell people that's the easy part, but that's the easy part for people who are in common. The harder part is about the Second Amendment. That's the harder part. <clears throat> that's where our society, and Saquon talked about culture. We have a culture that celebrates, yeah. you know, weaponization, that celebrates war. We, we're living in a culture. I'm, I'm, I'm 64, so I, I lived through three, four decades of the threat of war, of going to war, even during the Cold War. So we live in a culture that sort of glorifies, magnifies uh, 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 war. So it's no, it's no, it's no surprise to me that even in my own communities, that war with your neighbor is the preferred way of dealing with problems because our society, our government, you know, practice warfare. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on John Wayne. Come on now. I grew up on uh what's his name? Um the Kelly guy. Machine Gun Kelly, Al Capone. That was my regular diet when I was a kid. You know, Bonnie and Clyde. You know, all these were poor people who responded to a lack of economics, who responded to poverty by robbing banks and stuff like that. I was in poverty. Yeah, yeah. You know, we live in a society. Listen, my cartoons was was courageous cat and minute mouse fighting a frog, notorious frog and Harry. And I wanted to be the notorious frog, you know, because he kept coming up with ways of robbing shit. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? So we have a culture. Yeah. Saquon mentioned culture. It's our culture that practices this stuff. So it's not surprising to see my young people on the streets wanting to carry guns. It's a, it's like Saquon said, it's a powerful experience of being empowered. Having a gun tells people I'm somebody mm-hmm. and I'm gonna get yeah. some recognition because yeah. John Wayne made his career on <laughs> shooting people. Come on, people, let's be for real. Yeah. He made his career. I mean, what's his name? Marlon Brando made his career as the godfather. Yeah. You know, Al Pacino was Montana. What was it called? Scarface, Montana. Scarface. Yep. Scarface. He made a career out of that stuff. Um, um, my man Denzel Washington in training day. Mm-hmm. These guys got awards for portraying themselves as thugs. Mm-hmm. As thugs. So our young people, you know, they I mean, art imitates life. Life imitates art, however you want to say it. Our young people watch that stuff. Yeah. It's all right, Alex. You know? So, yeah. like, that's our culture. America, that's our culture. I'm yeah. American. That's my culture. Yeah. You Terry? understand what I'm saying? So, yeah. our story, Saquon, is the narrative. We have to change those narratives for our young people and say that people like Saquon, people like, you know, um, Malcolm, people like all those people who have you know, changed their lives, incarcerated, and came out and said, you know, that, that thug life is 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 degradating. Dehumanization is not real. 
Yeah. You know, it, it's it's that stuff that it's the Second Amendment. We got to yeah. do something about the Second Amendment because the Second Amendment, and I hate to say it like this, but white boys are saying it's okay for us to carry guns. We <laughs> want to carry our guns. And, yeah. and as a country, we're saying, yeah, okay, it's okay. But black boys are saying we want to carry our guns too. And we're saying, no, you can't do that. That's this, you know, criminalization. No you can't carry a gun. But our white boys are saying, yeah, we're going to carry guns no matter what. You ain't going to stop us. Yeah, that's crazy. To the Ter point that they attacked the Capitol. They attacked yeah. the Capitol. Mm -hmm. You understand know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. that's where we at with this. I hate to, I hate to take it there, but... No, it is know, there. No, it's very present. Well, We're very aware of Sydney. I agree. Yeah. And I, I don't feel safe in my own community. Yeah. I live I live in the Bronx and behind me there's an African gang that's calls themselves Africans don't take shit. And then there's a the bloods and then there's a Crips on the other side and there's shootouts every night. Terry, right? I live in where it's not safe, but I can't and I refuse to pick up a gun to, to say that, you know, to protect me and my family. I refuse to do that. Yeah. Alex, what I would like to offer, and Terry, I know you need, you, you're going to close out the call, but this is a very rich conversation. So I want to offer Terry, for those of us who can stay and continue the conversation, if you want to make me host, uh, Terry's going to close out the call. But if, if people want to stay and can stay, I would love to continue this conversation because there's a real partnership here. Because those sing, things, Saquon, that you and Alex were talking about, those are things we do at the Peace Alliance. We have a C3 and a C4 and we do education and we do advocacy and we work in different cultures. So Terry, if you want to close out the call, I, I would love to continue this conversation with those who can stay. Yeah, thank you, Liz. And speaking of culture, I mean, it's it, the Peace Alliance, our mission is to educate, advocate, and mobilize people into action to transform systems and public policy toward a culture of peace. That's our mission. And our vision is we cultivate peace building to create a world where everyone and everything thrives. So I put some links in the chat. Our website is peacealliance.org. Our Peace On podcasts are there. This one will be posted later today. And our a page about our hope story circles. There's also a blueprint for peace. You can click on the link. It's a major initiative to make peace and nonviolence an effective organizing principle in our federal, state, and local government policy. And that link, if you click on it, will go a message will go to all of your elected officials, federal, state, and local to let them know that you support policy related to violence reduction and building peace. There's also a link to our. <clears throat> a page about our Department of Peacebuilding Legislation, H.R. 1111, which was presented again in the current session of Congress. We are a small nonprofit. We welcome donations of any size. And our calendar of events, peacelines.org slash calendar to find out where our next Hope Story Circle is and other things that we have going. We'd love to see you back here again. Liz, do you want to close it for us? Yeah, I just want to say, that, Saquon, thank you for your story and bringing, you know, all my beautiful friends. I love seeing the faces from the Coming Home program and for this rich uh, conversation. We have this opportunity in this moment to make a giant shift. And we're all about creating partnerships and alliances. And I'm so glad that so many of you showed up. So I appreciate you all. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Feel Thank free you. to come off mute and say goodbye.
And Susan, I see your hand. And and uh, yeah, as everyone who has to go goes, we can the rest of us can stay and continue the conversation. Thank you, Sequan. Thank you so much, Sequan. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. you. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today at Peace On. We hope that it inspires you to engage in dialogue in your larger community. Peace On is brought to you by the Peace Alliance, found at peacealliance.org.